0: Genesis chapter 29 this time, We just finished chapter 28, and of course, this foundational book. we're going to cover a lot of ground as far as verses go tonight, and I think we can get out as usual, but I'll talk fast, you listen fast, it'll work out great. And you know, there's so many lessons in these stories. I mean, we could do a series on chapter 29. So many lessons. And I think if you'll listen and read, that, that you will glean lessons the Holy Spirit will point your heart to that I don't even talk about. It's something that the Lord gives you while you're here on Wednesday nights, and I know that it's happened. And if you're open to it, it will. Chapter 29, verse 1. Then, continuing the story, that's the, what the word means. Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field. And lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. By the way, a lot of detail about this family. Chapters, chapter after chapter of detail. All This story here, the next chapter and the next chapter. And you have one chapter and two about the creation. And there's a reason for this. God gives us these stories so that we can learn about who we are His people, learn what to do and what not to do as his people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Please, Lord, help us to focus our minds and our hearts on the eternal truth that we hold in our hands, in our hearts. And I pray that we will leave here knowing why we came. Bless it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in Genesis 28, we studied and we learned about what was essentially, you might call it, Jacob's salvation. His vow, which he made after his dream, was the very first vow ever recorded in the Bible. And you know, it reveals that his heart was now transformed. It revealed that his faith was finally and now at least in Jehovah God. However, as you all know, it's one thing to be saved and it's a whole other thing to be subdued. And just as surely as chapter 28 tells us about Jacob's salvation, so too does chapter 29 and beyond start to tell us about his sanctification. And of course, you know, this sanctification process is going to go on in this man's life for the next 20 years. Why? Because he, like all of us, is learning. I mean, learning the basic elementary truths of the life of faith is something that's, that's, for whatever reason, hard for us in our carnal bodies to fully grasp. I've been a Christian for 53 years now. I, was, I, I got saved when I was six months old, okay? But I've been a Christian for 53 years. And I'm telling you tonight, I still struggle with issues of faith and trust and due diligence to the Word of God sanctification growing in Christ is a continual lifelong journey and if you ever think that you have arrived you're going backwards. God is patient thankfully for all of us we're very blessed to know that as we learn from this like of Jacob we see that we serve a God who's long suffering and all wise toward us. He's not only watching over us as he promised Jacob last week we saw I will be with you wherever you go. He's not only watching over him, but he's also guiding him. And he's also watching and guiding and directing us with this great unseen hand, which you'll see in the next couple of chapters. So here's Jacob. He's fortified, by the way, by the dream that he had. God's speaking to him by that wonderful Bethel experience that he also had. So he heads off fortified now in his faith to this faraway land called Padanaram. And you're going to see that when he arrives there, he does two things. Two things by way of taking matters into his own hands. I'm telling you, he's growing. He hasn't arrived. And those two issues are, number one, money. And the other concerns, the issue of marriage. If I could go back in everybody's lives and all the counseling I've done and go back to those two issues, decisions made when people were young about money and marriage, man alive. Learn from this man, Jacob. Jacob obviously has come to Paddan Aram in the first place because, as we noted last week, he's seeking a bride, something he must do by virtue of God's covenant. Chapter 29, look at verse 1. Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east, and he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither from there were all the flocks gathered, or at there, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. Well, here's, here's our pilgrim. He's all alone. He's a fugitive. And north and east he's walking. He's following the fertile crescent all the way up five, 450 miles into Mesopotamia. To Mesopotamia. You know, that Patanaram is basically the southernmost part of Turkey right now. You can imagine how dangerous that journey was thousands of years ago. It was a rough place with rough people. The shepherds of that land would keep daggers in their belts for fending off wolves and lions and thieves. So it's not surprising then that when Jacob, he gets there, he receives at first a very cold reception From the people who are gathering at that well. Verse 4. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? Where are you from? And they said, Of Haran are we. That's the part in southernmost Turkey today. Modern day Turkey. Okay, so where are you from? We're from Haran. Not exactly, you know, talky-talky communicative here. And that continues. Verse 5. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. All right, there again. Yeah, what about it? And by the way, aside from the natural suspicion and sort of cynicism that Jacob's questions about Laban were, the fact that he threw in that name, it would only add to it. And I'll tell you why. Laban, as you're going to see, was a shyster. Laban was, as Dickens once wrote about Ebenezer Scrooge, a squealing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner Hard and sharp as flint, secret and self-contained as an oyster. That's him. Scrooge and Laban would have been cut from the same cloth. So you know, you show up out of nowhere and you say, "Hey, listen. Anybody here know uh, Hunter Biden? Anybody here know Sam Bankman?" And you're going to get the same kind of, "Yeah, we know him. What about it? We know him. Three words." So he tries again. Verse six, and he said to them, "Is he well?" And they said. He's well. (laughs) They're not very communicative. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. Now, I don't know how many of you in this room believe that God's in control of our lives and that meetings like this at this moment and at this time are not just coincidence. Here's Rachel. It just so happens she's a daughter of Laban and she has come to water her flock. Typically, in those days, she would be heavily veiled. She'd be stirring up the dust in the distance with her flock there. And it's at that point that Jacob sort of boldly asks these men a practical question. Verse 7, and he said, lo, it is yet high day. Neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep and then go and feed them. He says, look, guys, it's only halfway through the day. You haven't watered your sheep. Why are you just sitting around here? He water the sheep and get out and go, feed, go uh, feed the cattle. And that's what he said. And the only reason I can figure is that he wants to be alone with Rachel. It's either that or he's just making conversation and he starts out with an insult. And, you know, people do that all the time, as we know. So in any case, they explain it to him. Verse 8, and they said, we cannot. We cannot until all the flocks be gathered together until they rolled a stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. That's how it's done around here. Now, why did they wait until all the sheep arrived? Maybe they kept the dust from entering the well so they could feed them all at once, water them all at once. Maybe it was an arrangement to make sure there was fair distribution to everybody at the same time. Maybe they use it as an excuse to get to see and speak to this beautiful woman, Rachel, who's single. And who, after all, is fashionably late. What other reason Jacob seizes this opportunity? Follow this carefully. Verse 10. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, the mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Boy, you talk about dramatic. First date, a kiss, and you cry like a baby. Well, Actually, this was honestly more of a very familiar Near East greeting at this time. They all did that. And of course, he wept because he's emotional. 450 miles by foot, he can see instantly that God is at work. Jacob takes matters in his own hands as far as looking around and he sees her coming, and he sees the well has the lid on it. He doesn't ask the guys. He doesn't suggest they do it. It's their well. He, he just, this stranger, rolls back the stone. And he starts watering somebody else's sheep. And then he kisses her, and he cries. And the mother men must have thought, this guy's crazy. This girl's not going to want anything to do with this guy. Well, verse 12. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother. And that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. She ran, of course. It It was a rare, wonderful thing for any relative to show up from, in those days, out of nowhere. But especially a young, scrapping, confident man like Jacob, who's a relative, a distant relative. And by the way, realize that a lot of his confidence and his boldness here are a result of what happened back at Bethel. Remember, he got that guaranteed promise from God. People who know and believe and know that they know that God is with them should be humble but not afraid. Verse 13. And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. See, that's what they did. And he brought him to his house and he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space... Of a month, Now, folks, understand that there's no telephones, of course. There's no emails, no postal service. Laban doesn't know everything you know about Jacob. Laban doesn't know all of the things about him. He's a semi-fugitive. He doesn't know of Esau's anger against him and all of his, his deception. What he does know is that Isaac is his father, and Isaac is a very wealthy man. And he knows that Jacob stands to inherit a whole lot of stuff. And he looks at this brash and bold young man, and he sizes him up. And these two crafty men, by the way, make make a pair. They're well matched. Look at verse 15. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldst thou therefore serve me for naught? Now remember, he had been there a month. Should you serve me for Nothing tell me what shall thy wages be in other words follow this carefully this is an important little point our young people should hear it Jacob didn't just make himself at home and sit around reading the paper for a month watching tv he wasn't that annoying relative that shows up at the house and he just plops down and he's sitting on the couch and he says after a month he says hey you're out of milk the fridge out of ghost milk He obviously, that month that he was there, he got up and he jumped to work. He says you're serving me. He served Laban and he did so for nothing more than room and board for staying there. The Bible says that a man's gift makes room for himself. And you can be sure that Jacob's industry, his productivity, became very, very useful for in just a few weeks time. So that after a month, Laban realizes he he doesn't want to lose this guy. This guy's a value to me. He's a producer. Idleness is not in this young man's character. And besides, his wealthy eyes, wealthy-to-be eyes, are looking a lot at my, my daughter, Rachel. So he says, Jacob, you shouldn't have to serve me for nothing. You tell me what you think it's worth, and I'll pay you. And then you stay here. And Jacob says, pay me? Okay. He even says this, I will give you seven years of labor. If you will give me the hand of your daughter, Rachel. I tell you something, folks, with Jacob, it was love at first sight, for real. He was smitten. He was whooped. He was so totally taken with this young lady that he let his heart bargain before his head. But you know what they say, puppy love? Puppy love leads to a dog's life, someone once said. The Bible reminds us of a little problem for Jacob. Verse 16, and Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide or go ahead, yes. Live here. Now, to be honest with you, I've read everything I everything imaginable honestly on this text and I still don't know what it means that Leah was quote tender-eyed most likely it's a euphemism for someone who's maybe half blind and they squint a lot all we know is that physically she didn't measure up to Rachel who verse 17 says beautiful and well favored and of course just like Jacob like 99% of all the other men who's ever lived in the world chose chooses the fairest of the two he chooses with his eyes. I don't see any instances he's praying about this. The interesting thing is that from day one, there's no mention of Jacob having an altar. Now, we talked about this in our last study. There's no submission to God. There's no seeking, really, God's will. He's just thinking and bargaining what comes naturally to his shrewd mind and his eyes. Verse 20, when Jacob served seven years for Rachel... And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love that he had to her. I told you he smitten. His heart. I mean, Rachel was well worth waiting for. That's how much he loved her. And to his credit, he did wait for her. Verse 21, And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go. in unto her and Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. True to his word, I put that in air quotes, Laban gives orders for this feast, and he makes, he personally makes all of the arrangements, including apparently the fact that the men of that place would celebrate while Jacob's bride, heavily veiled, would wait somewhere in the night. At the end of the feast, and I know you know this story, but we have to go through this, Laban releases his daughter to Jacob's tent. Laban had, of course, seven years. He had seven years to plan this whole fraud, whereby he would trick Jacob into taking his firstborn daughter, Leah, instead of Rachel. So Jacob, he's worn out, party-worn, retires to his darkened quarters, consummates the marriage, only to discover in the morning just how shrewd and deceitful his uncle was. I'm telling you, Laban was... A demon-led man, if there ever was one. Verse 23, look at it. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to him. And he went unto her, and Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid, for and handmaid. And it came to pass, and in the morning, behold, that means behold, Jacob, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel... Wherefore then hast thou beguiled same word for the devil beguiled me and here's Laban's response verse 26 and Laban said it must not be done so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn you talk about gaslighting so he turns it back and he says look you're in my country and in my country you can't give the younger before the firstborn what did you think i was going to do Jacob This man's a deceiver. We're going to talk about that at the the very end of this message. The fact that there are some people in this world that you should do what Jacob finally did, and that's get up and leave. There are some people in this world who are just deceptive, liars. To use a modern term that's used a lot today in therapy is toxic. That's what this guy was. Look at verse 27. Laban says, "Fulfill her week, like her finished our honeymoon, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou hast served me yet seven other years." In other words, look, Laban can see Jacob's anger and his shock. And just as he had planned, he pours oil on these troubled waters by saying, "Here you go, Jacob, go on your honeymoon." Take care of my firstborn, Leah. Be a good husband to her. And for seven years of labor, you can also marry Rachel. Should he compound one mistake with another? Jacob does this. Verse 28, and Jacob did so. And fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. In other words, Jacob didn't have to wait seven years, another seven to have Rachel. He married her right then. Which means that he now has two wives. This is a very important point because what's about to happen with regards to Jacob's children. Look at verse 30. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. And when the Lord saw that Leah... No, wait a minute. Let me stop here for a minute. When the Lord saw... You mean God's been watching all of this? Yes. We haven't heard his voice. We haven't seen an altar. But what did God say way back there in Bethel? I'm with you. I will watch over you. And not just him. Verse 31, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, hate is one of those famous words in the Bible, a word of comparison compared to how he loved Rachel. The comparison is like hatred. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. In other words, time is going by. Leah is hated, which basically means she's being ignored by Jacob. So she feels totally despised. And yet Rachel is the one who's not conceiving any children. So that no matter how much he loves Rachel, if Jacob wants sons, he's going to have to consider Leah. Leah. And Jacob wanted sons. Verse 32, And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. In other words, it was God who compensated Leah. It's almost a divine law, frankly. People who lack in one area are given extra in another area. But let me just go through this very quickly. So here are these four sons that she has. Reuben, which means God hath seen. Simeon, which means God hath heard. Levi, which means God hath joined me. And Judah, which as you all know, means praise. You see, in other words, after four sons, and Rachel is still barren, it was very obvious that God was blessing Leah. Chapter 30. And when Rachel saw that she bared Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children, for else I die, please. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? So you see all this conflict in the family. She goes and says, I need children. And he says, This is my fault? This is just 21st century family conflict. Verse 3, And she said, Behold, my maid Bilhah, going unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have children by her. Man alive, we've seen this before, right? Why do people continue to make the same mistake over and over and over? Jacob could have said, Oh, no, 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 not that one. I know all about my father, my grandfather, my grandfather. I know all about It goes on. Verse 4, and she gave him Bilhah, handmaid, lo, uh, to wife. And Jacob went unto her, and Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me, and hath also heard my voice, and hath given me a son. Therefore call she his name Dan. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again, and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And that's crazy. I've prevailed. Call the name Naphtali. And so it goes. It ends up, we're not going to read all this. Listen carefully. It ends up with four wives and eight sons. Four are the sons of Leah, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Two are the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan and Naphtali. Two are the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad and Asher. And then later, Leah Leah is going to bear two more sons, Issachar and Zebulon, and Rachel will have two of her own, Joseph and Benjamin. Plus, Leah will have a daughter, finally, a girl named dinah but here's the thing in this whole story this is all wrong it's all wrong and yet through all of the deceit all of the jealousy all of the bitterness and the anger the hatred and the judging with your eyes instead of spiritually and and let me just say this too Understand that when you read about these things, you know, unbelievers will look at this and people don't know anything about God or the Bible say, look at that, I had wives. Understand that God is simply revealing to us in his word what happened. That's what God does. The Bible is an inspired, infallible, divine revelation of God's dealings and God's conversations with man. God is simply telling us the truth about what happened 4,000 years ago to an ancient family in the Middle East. This is how Jacob lived. God's not condoning any of this. But in spite of it all, the deceit, the foolishness, the stumbling around, God is still keeping his word. Fourteen years, 12 children, four wives later, Jacob realizes it's time to depart for the land of promise. Remember this, sometime back, somewhere back in Jacob's mind, there sits this memory of God's covenant. It is a covenant that does not include the promise of Mesopotamia. It doesn't include that land where they're at. Rather, it's the promise of Canaan. And so he finally is resolved. He's made his decision. He's going to do what God told him to do all along. It's time to go. Unfortunately, to stifle Jacob's resolve... All Laban had to do was offer Jacob a raise in pay. Uh, You know, it's God's will for him to leave, but that's when the company usually says, hey, you know what? I'm going to pad your income. Laban, as you know, changed Jacob's pay ten times, if you know the story. Each and every time it was likely to benefit Laban. And mostly and only Laban in the long term. So that Laban is using this man. This is what toxic people do. To use another modern term in therapy, this is what narcissists do. He is using Jacob to advance himself. Much in the same way that Jacob started to do with Esau to advance himself. So yes, you reap what you sow and his chickens are coming home to roost. And yet as we read of Jacob's life and all of the failures and all the faults of this man, we still are reminded behind it all, is the faithfulness of God and the purpose of God is continuing to be fulfilled people say how can Jacob and Isaac and even Abraham how do they make these same mistakes these foolish decisions over and over and over again these fleshly carnal things I can tell you it's because they're carnal they're in flesh and you know what God didn't make this covenant with angels God did not make his covenant with glorified saints. He made his covenant with sinners. And and as sinners, they have a lot of growing sanctification to experience, just like we do. They will endure the fruits of their disobedience. But that's for us to learn from. They will reap what they sow. But God is going to keep his word. And he does so, beloved, not because of Jacob's conniving, not because of his scheming and his trickery, as we'll see in a few moments, but rather in spite of all of that. Chapter 30, verse 25. And it came to pass when Rachel had borne Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away, that I may go into mine own place and to my country. Give me my wives. By the way, what's wrong with that word wives? Two words. Too many. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served thee and let me go for thou knowest my service, which I have done thee. In other words, finally, Jacob has had his fill. This has been rough. This hasn't been fun. This is not some kind of happy ministry he was doing there. He was serving a man who was using him, who lied to him over and over, and his wages and just just puppeting him. He finally has had his fill. He's kept his bargain. He's ready to leave for home. We know by now that a man like Laban, and some of you have a Laban in your life. You just do. Some of you have had. We've had Labans come to this church and tried to attach themselves to me. And I knew this story, and I knew stories like this in the Bible. And I was going to have none of it. They wanted to have power and prestige and position and do this and do that and boss people around and control me and control my family, and I thought, there's not a chance. And sometimes, there was one time in particular, I was accused of being unkind and not extending enough grace to this family, this person in particular, way back a long time ago. And I had to endure that as well because of this kind of a person. Notice what happens. We know that he's not going to let him go, right? You know that. Controllers don't do that. Verse 27, And layman said unto him, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. You know, sometimes God blesses business because of believers there. It's true. You be that believer. Verse 28, and he said, appoint me thy wages and I will give it. He says, Come on, stay a little longer. I'll increase your wages again. Just stay a little longer, just a little bit longer. And then Jacob's answer to Laban was to strike a deal on his own terms. He's going to stay longer, and so here's his deal. He he shouldn't have. Verse twenty nine, and he said unto him, Thou knowest how I have served thee and how thy cattle was with me, for it was little which thou hadst before I came, and it is now increased into a multitude. And the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming. That's a very real thing. And now when shall I provide for mine own house also? And he said, what shall I give thee? And Jacob said, thou shalt not give me anything. If thou wilt do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep thy flock. In other words, look, Jacob points to his big family. And he says, how am I supposed to feed this family? I have 11 boys and one girl, and all these women, and you Laban have gotten very rich, wealthier and wealthier in the past. You own all this in the past 14 years, and I've only gained warm bodies, hungry mouths to feed. So here's the deal. He says, let me go through the flock and cull out all of the brown sheep and all of the speckled and spotted goats. That means all of the least of the flock. Okay, so this is verse uh, 31, 32, 33. See verse 33, the speckled, the spotted cattle, the brown cattle. He's making a deal. He says, look, you keep all the blue ribbon. You keep the ones that win all the ribbons at the fair. Let me separate them and place them away from the purest best of the flock. In other words, the solid colored white sheep and the solid colored black goats. And then he said... Both flocks are still yours, Uncle Laban. However, any sheep or any goats that are born from the solid color in the flock, if they happen to be speckled or spotted goats or brown, then those will be mine. Well, Laban knows a deal when he sees one. He's a bigger conniver than Jacob. So he jumps on this proposal instantly before Jacob can change his mind. And that's because everybody knows that Everybody knew then that Eastern sheep were mostly solidly white or then rarely ever brown, and the goats were predominantly black, and very rarely would they come out spotted or speckled. So Jacob is willing to start with nothing. The worst part of the entire, this is a business, by the way, this is a business that they're in, and he's saying, I'll take the worst part of the portfolio, the one that has almost no return. And he says, I'll put the odds in your favor, Uncle Laban, and leave the results to God. In truth, he was leaving the results to God and a lot of hard work. He was going to have to labor again. And typical of Jacob, he works hard. But also typical of Jacob, he throws in his chicanery. He has to be a little bit deceitful. Laban's not complaining at all. The mark, the striped flock three days journey away if you read the the the, uh the text and they're being tended to by his sons and so you know these perfect sheep and goats would see uh once in a while some speckled offspring you can have them so they make the deal and then Jacob does this really weird thing I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it but let's look at it verse 37 and Jacob took him rods of green poplar and the hazel and the chestnut tree and peeled white streaks at them and made the white appear which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had peeled before the flocks and the gutters in the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink, that they should conceive when they came to drink. So he takes some stout branches, three kinds of trees, the hazel, the poplar, and the chestnut tree. And the Bible says that he, he peels the bark off these branches so that it's striped all the way around. He peels it off in stripes. And then he places them where? He places them, in verse 38, by the well, in the water, where they would come to drink, and so forth. What's he doing? He knows that these flocks are coming there to socialize. And there's these striped rods that are placed in the water. And I know, commentators, even a few scientists have said that by placing the bare rods in the water... It was an attempt to get the chemicals or the sap from that into the drinking water because Jacob learned somehow that it would help with fertility and they would have more of these, uh, if they saw the stripes, they would have more of the striped uh, sheep and so on. And, you know, that sounds like superstition. Sounds a lot like superstition. That by seeing stripes in conception, the offspring would have stripes. Well, look at verse 39. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth ring cattle, ring-straked, speckled and spotted. Sure enough. And Jacob did separate the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the ring-straked and all the brown in the flock of Laban. And he put his own flocks by themselves and put them not into Laban's cattle. So whatever the rods were supposed to do, now follow this carefully. Jacob is employing now some sound wisdom. He's going to essentially use Mendel's law of breeding. And it continues in verse 41. And it came to pass, whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive, Jacob laid the rods before the eyes of the cattle in the gutters, they might conceive among the rods. But when the cattle were feeble, he put them not in. See that? That's just a law of breeding. So the feebler were Laban's. There's the conniving again. And the stronger were Jacob's. And the man increased exceedingly and had much cattle and maid servants and men servants and camels and, and asses. What's that mean? That means he got rich. That's how you had wealth very rich. Go back to when Jacob first came in your mind's eye to Petunarim. He saw Rachel at a well. What did he do? He jumped right in. He moved that heavy stone all by himself. He didn't ask the men and he starts watering the entire flock. When he's a guest at Laban's house for a whole month, what does he do? He doesn't kick his feet up. He doesn't sit around the tent like the lazy nephew eating all the Oreos and just reading the morning paper. He didn't say to Laban at the end of the day, hey, uh, there's a sheep stuck in the thicket back there. You might want to have one of your men get it. No, he, he got up and he did it. In one month, he made himself indispensable. He's a laborer, he's a worker, and God blesses that every single time. God always blesses when you go back to the mandate that God gave to Adam in the garden. Keep it, keep it and dress it. And by the sweat of your brow now, you have to do it, but keep on doing it. So he's increasing again. The man increased exceedingly, verse 43, and had much cattle. By starting with nothing, Jacob understood two things. Number one, God blesses hard work. He just does. Number two, God made a promise to him. In other words, God's blessing plus hard work equals great increase. That's an early lesson in a foundational book in the Bible that's carried out throughout the Word of God. I mean, what if he was unwilling to work? What if Jacob just stood around and he scorned the law about laboring with the sweat of your brow? What if Jacob is going to is going to just lay around and wait on God? Pastor, pray for me. I've got an entrance exam. Okay, but did you study? I will pray for you. But did you sit down and study? Pastor, pray for me because I need this. Okay, you do your part. God will do his part. I want to remind you that Jacob is doing all this breeding and culling and this administrating when he was 89 years of age. Brother Wooster, still working. How old are you, Brother Wooster? You're allowed to tell me. How old are you, Brother Wooster, Alvin? He's a kid, he's a child compared to Jacob. But imagine this this is work. Verse 1, and he heard the words of chapter 31, Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. That's another thing, too. If you do well, you work hard, people are going to be jealous and envious and say, It's not fair. That's what's happening in our country. Every election is dividing, it's class warfare, right? It's not fair. He's taken all that which was our father's, hath he gotten all this glory? And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. Of course it's not, because toxic people change like that. Their loyalty is not loyal, their love is not real love. And so yeah, his face changed. Verse three, and the Lord said unto Jacob, Return to the land of thy fathers. The Lord came, the Lord said to Jacob, How many years has it been? Return to the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Same promise. Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah in the field and his flock and said unto them, I see your father's countenance. It's not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And ye know that with all my power I have served your father. And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God suffered or allowed him not to hurt me. He probably would have. Go down to verse 11. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ringstrake, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land, and return to the land of thy kindred. Jacob was in the university of hard knocks. And his major was in the patience and the long suffering and the faithfulness of God. God said, Jacob, guess what? All your little ring straight barks and all that stuff. All you're trying to pull this one and that one in. I'm the one who saw to it that your flocks increased and Laban's didn't. I've been here. I've been watching. I've been seeing it all along. If there's ever a person in this room right now who thinks that you got to where you are just because you're so smart, fall on your knees and confess that sin and say, thank you, Lord. I'm the one who's watched over you. I'm the one who's provided for you. The headline may have said, Jacob gets Laban's goat or whatever, but it was God who was doing this. You say, well, Pastor, which of the methods that Jacob employed, the selective breeding or the stripes, the sap in the water, what was it? Folks, I doubt he used any of that. And the truth is, it really doesn't matter. God blessed his hard work. What matters is the truth and the realization that every good and perfect gift comes from above. It is the truth that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And that if you really want your labors and your efforts to be blessed for all the days of your life, seek help in favor of God. Do your part, and when the increase comes, give glory to God. Let's look at this and we'll close. Verse 17. Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels. And he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten, the cattle of his Getty which he had gotten in Padanarim, for to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. Old Jacob, after 20 long years, is heading home. Isaac is still alive. His brother Esau is still alive. And the three of them still have some unfinished business. What he needed to see, what we need to see, and what I see in this whole story and what we're going to see in in the future as we see what Jacob confronts, is that God doesn't give up on his own. And that in spite of those who oppose you and cheat you, and use you, and lie to you, some of which you have the power and the ability to walk away from. If you have the, pow- the power and the ability to get up on a camel and get away from someone who's not going to change like Laban, who's just destroying you, you Jacob did not need for his children to grow up with this guy. So there was nothing wrong for him saying, I'm out of here. Realize that God sees the Labans of this world. He sees the cheaters. I, that's one thing, you know, I mentioned the ones about who've come in here over the last 36 years and tried to exert some power and so forth, The New Testament, they're called Demetrius and so forth. The one thing I didn't have to do and I didn't do was wring my hands. Like, oh no, what am I going to do? I have to really do something about this. I really didn't. I just had to make it very uncomfortable for them because God sees them. God sees the cheated and the cheaters. And our God is a perfect Judge. He also still sees what Jacob doesn't see that you reap what you sow. Jacob complained to Rachel and Leah about their father's deceit and their father's chicanery, and apparently he forgot all about his own. But it was there. And God in his long suffering and his faithfulness and his patience continued to grow this man. Jacob had a lot of lessons to learn in Patenarum but he hadn't yet learned to see himself as God sees him. That lesson was yet to come. And our God, in his patience and mercy and loving kindness, is going to teach Jacob this lesson. I mean, this man's going to really change to be more like Christ in the days ahead. God is in the business of changing lives. And he wants to change mine. Continue to. And he wants to change yours. And sometimes... That's the University of Hard Knocks. The bottom line is, the answer to all of it is trust and faith in the God who knows. And God's people said? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word as we continue, Lord, to look into the truth of your word and how you have dealt with men and nations and people and women and children, that you are always a God of law and holiness, but always a God also of faithfulness. And when people cry out unto you, you always hear. May we cry out to you, for those people who would come into our lives that are like Laban, that are of the devil, that are only for themselves. I pray God that we will know if it's possible and if it's right that we also distance ourselves, that we do not allow them to become toxic in our own lives or our families. And Lord, to the end that it that it helps us like Jacob to grow in Christ. And to depend completely on you, we will give you the praise for that. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.